said last week that the, the Bible, that the sole purpose of the Bible in many respects is to ask questions of us. And we began asking this question, are you flourishing? One of my hopes for today is that by the time we're done, every one of us will understand how this is at the core of everything when it comes to living our lives for God through Christ. No matter where we're living our lives for Him. Last week, we let the Bible ask us the question, are you flourishing? And, and when we define flourishing, we say, all human behavior will be found to be motivated by the desire for life and flourishing. That's what Jonathan Pennington said. All of us long for that. And then we defined it this way. Flourishing is abundant life, nurturing wholeness, and redemptive relationship with God, people, including ourselves, and the world around us, and creation itself. So there's this wholeness that we want to bring about. We unpacked the word shalom last week. In affirming this longing, we then hear another question, which is, where does flourishing begin? So we're going to get there. But the question that visited my mind, that the Bible evoked in my mind for this week is this. Where does this matter? More specifically, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 today, so I would invite you to find your way to Genesis chapter 1. And the question is, is where does Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 matter? Not, not why does it matter. But where does it matter? Now, we tend to think of flourishing as having its headwaters, if you will, in our best efforts or the right conditions. Or we, we think of flourishing as being the perfect opportunity or significant resources, making sure we have enough of the significant resources in our lives. Maybe we think of flourishing as having our physical health among other things. And, and looking solely at those things, we quickly begin to think that flourishing is not possible. Because the truth is, the conditions are never always right, and the truth is, the resources can always run out, and the truth is, our bodies betray us. And the truth is, Flourishing is not what many people in the world feel. In the church or in life. In some ways, here's the sum total of everything I'm going to say today. So maybe you can check out after this, but I hope you don't. And it sounds elementary and it sounds like it's a given because, well, it's a given. And it's this. True flourishing begins with God. Can you say that with me? True flourishing begins with God. And that's a given, right? That's a given. But if that is true, if that's true, then why do we not start there? Why do we often 
Let other definitions of flourishing crowd in. Now that's for another sermon in a few weeks, but for today, let's start at Genesis 1. A number of weeks ago I said that some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, for my money anyway, are found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Those words, formless and empty and darkness, carry the idea of waste and chaos and emptiness. But then we read these words, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, sometimes what we do with the Bible is we want to find the, the, the most um, um, stimulating verse of Scripture. We want to uh, get to something that's going to help apply itself to my life and my circumstances. And we go over Scriptures that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt and we don't really realize what God's trying to say to us when we hear the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then what happens? Life, form, order, fullness. The text says the Spirit of God was hovering, poised to create the conditions for God's creative happen. Then what happens? We hear it over and over and over Don't miss these three words. Let there be. This isn't a God forcing His way. He's saying, let it be. Let there be. Light, sky, sea, land, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, sea creatures, birds, animals. And us. Human beings. Let there be, let there be what? Well, we find the answer to that question when God gets done and he's, He takes his, his break and He steps back. And over and over in Genesis 1, it says, and God saw that it was good. Don't be sucked into the familiarity of that. And God saw that it was good. The word for good there is that beautiful Hebrew term, tov. Perhaps you've heard the idea of uh, mazel tov, right? It means good luck. But this word good means loving and pleasing and beautiful and fulfilling fulfilling the purpose for which something was created. That's what it means. So what does that do to this passage? We do no injury to the biblical text when we interpret Tov as another word for flourishing. Shalom. We looked at that beautiful word that's recorded 340 times in the Bible 
in both the Hebrew 250 times the Old Testament and in the Greek 90 times with the word arene. This beautiful word of this fullness God wants for our lives. And this word tov is another word for God's flourishing. So can you see it? I love this picture. This is that, this is the untamed God. This is the wild God. Now just get this picture. Let your imagination see this. God breathes into being creation and in each formation of a molecule and the crafting of the petal of a flower or the single human hair on a person's head, God says, yep, that's flourishing. God steps back, I believe, every day and looks at you and me and goes, yep, flourishing. You may not feel that way, but that's what God thinks. Yep. Where does flourishing begin? It all begins with God. If we make our worship anything other than about God, we're missing the mark. We're missing it. If we make our worship anything other than about God, we will never flourish. We may think we will. We may even flourish based on standards outside of God. But flourishing begins with God. Especially in a world that doesn't seem like it's flourishing, but may even seem like it's withering. And that's what caused me to ask, what does Genesis 1, 1 and 2 matter? What does it matter to the young adult plagued with anxiety? What does it matter to the parents of a teenager we're fearful of what their next choice might be. What does it matter to the teenager who feels injured by the body shaming of a culture? What does it matter to a family navigating Alzheimer's? What does it matter? What do these words matter? What does it matter to the person walking in the chaos of mental illness? or the family walking with the person, or the darkness of depression? What does it matter to the one who got the news of their spouse's cancer, or they got the news that the affair is true? What does it mean to the man who's covering over his inner demons with religion on one side, or professional success on the other side? but keeps coming up empty. And without any intention of sensationalizing something horrible, but trying to drive to a truth, what does it mean to the parents, the loved ones, and the friends of a kindergarten teacher named Eliza Robertson, or Eliza Fletcher, 
who on September 2nd was out for a morning run in Memphis and she was kidnapped and murdered. You see, what does any of this mean in a world that is not defined by evidence of flourishing? We need to sit with that. Not dismiss it. What does this matter? What does this matter? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. You see, these words matter because they take us to the start of flourishing. They matter because they reveal the kind of God who created us and loves us. They matter because they teach us that God is the God who from the beginning pushes against darkness. So at Eliza's funeral, not too many days ago, Pastor George Robertson, her pastor, he was a devoted follower of Jesus. He said this, the funeral of this young kindergarten teacher. We say against the powers of darkness and the powers of hell, on this day, the day that God has made, we will rejoice and be glad. And then he went on and said this, because God has designed this world in such a way that darkness, no matter how deep, can be pierced by the tiniest light. See, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 reveals a God who refuses to allow darkness, chaos, and emptiness to have the final word. And I don't know about you, but I need a God who will let me know that darkness, chaos, emptiness, death, abuse, violence, war, disorder, division, anger, hate, racism, all of it does not have the final word. That's what Genesis 1, 1 and 2 teaches me. That flourishing begins with that God And you see, he's always been that God from the beginning, and he's that God for us through Christ. Remember how the gospel writer describes him? The light shines in the darkness, and what? The darkness has not overcome it. Say those words with me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So how dark is your dark? How disruptive is your chaos? How unsettling is your anxiety? How empty is your soul? Here's the good news. The Spirit is hovering. The God who quietly moves toward the darkness and graciously towards us to bring flourishing. And we see that time and again in the Bible. God wants His people to flourish. I want to challenge you to read your Bible differently. Read it through the lens of this God. Read it through the lens of the God who calls us to flourish. Read it through the lens who stands over you and goes, 
Yep. Flourishing. And see what happens when you read your Bible through that lens. Because we see it from beginning to end. The book of Genesis, the Spirit of God was hovering. Verse 2, we saw that. Catapult to Jesus. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. God coming to us with flourishing. See it. Go with me to the day we all long for when everything will be made right, when Christ comes again and all things are made right. Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. J.D. Wall put it this way, the mission of God the Father is flourishing. The messianic intervention of God the Son is flourishing. The miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit, flourishing. And then he says this, the message of the Bible, the inspired revealed word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 can be summarized in a single word, flourishing. From the beginning to the end, God moves toward us with his flourishing for us, not in life as we hope it to be, but in life as it is. His flourishing, not our definition, his. The same Spirit of God that is accounted for in these first words of the Bible, the Hebrew term is ruach, this breath of God, that same Spirit of God continues to hover over your heart and your life and my heart and life today. He hovers over the world we dwell in right now with all its chaos and disorder and darkness. As Dallas Willard so beautifully put it, we live in the kingdom of God where God is active, His Spirit is present, His Son is alive. That's where we live. My friends, that's where we live. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, can be translated, our Father who art in the heavens. Our God, our omnipresent God, is with us. Isn't that the heartbeat of the greatest, most commercialized holiday of the year, Christmas? Emmanuel, God, is with us, and that changes everything. The God who longs for our flourishing is the God who is present in life as it is. Andy Crouch wrote an astounding book a few years ago called Playing God. And it's about power and what we do with it. And he says that in terms of our functional use of the Bible, there are often four chapters that we are missing. They're still in your pages or on your device if you pull them up. They're, they're, but there are four chapters. And he says this, they are the very bookends of Scripture, the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. And to miss these chapters, the first about the creation, the second two about the new creation, is to miss the whole point of the biblical story. That's why we need to just slow it down and sit 
with these words. From Genesis to Revelation, God wants humans to encounter the abundance of life He desires. And yes, the the Bible begins not with a picture of flourishing, really. The Bible begins with a world that is the antithesis to flourishing. Darkness and nothingness. But in the midst of what seems impossibly void of the potential of any goodness. The untamable God, the wild God, the Holy Spirit, hovers. He hovers. He shows up. He is poised. He is poised and prepared to do one thing, and that is to create flourishing. And Andy Crouch comes to this conclusion. Could it be that the creative power of Genesis 1 and 2 is still real and active in the world today? Please don't take from this some idea that this is to minimize the darkness. Not at all. But rather, this is to walk into the darkness with a true definition of the God we worship. We declare it. We say verses like John 1.5 are, are inspired scripture. We call them the word of God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, cannot overcome it. So we walk with that into the darkness, into the dark spaces, and we all walk in them. And we all look at the world and say, where is God? Why did that happen? And most of the time we have no answers to that. And that's such. But we do have this answer about this God who still hovers. Whether darkness within or around us, the Spirit still hovers. Even when in the darkest time, God is making a way to us for His flourishing. Not a flourishing, by the way, that's defined by a secular vision of well-being. And that's where we get tripped up often. But rather, it's a flourishing defined by the presence of God hovering over life as it is. It's all over the Bible. Those famous words from Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, in other words, though there's no evidence of anything good, though there's no evidence of flourishing, now look what happens. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see, God's flourishing is strength. God meets us with strength, one aspect of it. It's the Philippians 4 kind of strength, right? My precious niece, while my father was dying, put over his bed, And every time anyone would visit, you would see, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. And we would walk in and there would be my father withering away. And we'd see that. 
Let's understand the context of those words because this is critical when it comes to understanding flourishing. Paul's writing from a prison, not flourishing. And he says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This isn't, you know, the gospel according to Pastor Jeff. This is the, this is the word of God, the inspired word of God. I have learned to be, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. You see that a fruit, if you would, of flourishing that God creates is contentment. Contentment. If you notice the advertising that we watch or read or scroll through, never invites us to contentment. We're always invited to something more, something bigger, something better. But this idea, this flourishing contentment, why? Why be content? Well, in Hebrews 13.5, it says this. I like the Amplified Version. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. You see, do I see that this is because of the presence of God? Because of the God of Genesis 1 still hovering over us in the name of Jesus by the power of his Spirit? Do I see that he's still seeking to bring his grace and flourishing out of the places where it seems most unlikely that God is constantly for us? God's for us. God's toward us. God's initiating toward us. Especially in the places where it seems least likely for flourishing. He meets us in life as it is, not as we want it to be, not as we want to try to make it work. So we can be content with Him and in Him. See, we're back to the very beginning. Flourishing all begins with God. Don't think for one moment that I'm going to step down from here and I got this locked down. Did you hear what Paul said? He said you have to learn this. <laughs> and that's a life lesson of continually worshiping this God who's untamable in all circumstances, and he's present. So you see, flourishing begins with God because of God's very presence. And that's why Jesus said, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about stuff, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Don't worry about those things. Seek first God. How I need to grow in my capacity for God. 
my adoration and love and devotion to God. It all begins with God, which means we are really left with one simple thing. It's time to seek God. Truly seek Him. Thomas Merton said, we become saints not by violently overcoming our weakness. We can do this. But by letting the Lord give us the strength of His Spirit in exchange for our weakness and misery. God, here I am. I don't know if I can make it another day. God, here I am. That temptation seems too hard, too strong. God, here I am. I'm angry about that hurt. God, here I am. Where were you? I don't know, God, but here I am. I bring that to you. I don't hide that from you. I don't coat it. Put a, put a coat of, of um, some kind of religious you know, statement that makes me feel better. I bring that to you. And here's the good news. This God who from beginning to end wants us to flourish, this same God in the divine Son of God said this, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. That's flourishing. 